bottom, it's time to thank some people who are on our side because we're on their side. You found a new tool, software, Blue Rhythm commissioning software. Robert, I sure have. I think Blue Rhythm is what I've been looking for all these years. Building commissioning can be chaos at the best of times. Most projects I consult on really suffer from poor information management. You know, it's 2019, yet the property and construction industry seems to be firmly stuck in the 20th century paperwork world. I think people mistake emails and PDFs and Microsoft files on their servers and all the different PCs as a digital solution. In reality, it's just unorganized chaos. Do you want to streamline your commissioning process and save time and money? Do you want to go paperless and increase efficiency? Blue Rhythm is a cloud-based software solution built specifically for building commissioning professionals. Blue Rhythm digitizes your custom forms and checklists, allows collaboration across project teams, and automates reporting, leaving you to focus on what matters. Their team help you onboard the test sheets you've developed over the years. You can even send it some in paper, and they will digitize that and put it in the Blue Rhythm system for you. In my opinion, Blue Rhythm pays for itself in time saved on paperwork on a single project. For a demo or to start a free trial, go to bluerhythm.com. That's where rhythm is spelled R-I-T-H-M like algorithm. Bluerhythm.com. Tell them the edifice complex sent you there. In a world where high-performance zero-defect buildings are hard to find, Two men are on a mission to disrupt the status quo. Welcome to the Edifice Complex, the property design and development podcast. Let your hosts, Adam Muggleton and Robert Bean, keep you up with who is innovating and doing great work, perspective on the adjacent possible, and challenges to the status quo. Welcome to the Edifice Complex. I am Robert Bean, your co-host and unofficial mediator here with my colleague, official agitator, friend, and Yoda of most everything to do with buildings, Mr. Adam Muggleton. Say hello, Yoda. Hello, Yoda. Okay, so we got Scott on today. I'm looking forward to this. Anyone who's got the yeah. word alliance in their company name, that's got to be worth an interview, right? <laughs> <laughs> so yes, today's guest is the managing director and board member of Polymet Biopower. Founding partner of the Energy Alliance Group of North America and served as a technical advisor to the U.S. Department of Energy and the American Recovery Act and was a member of Batten Engineering's Oldsmobile Aerotech high-speed vehicle program team, setting the closed course land speed record of 258 miles per hour by NASCAR champion driver A.J. Foyt. So that in itself is a story. We'll have to ask him about that. Welcome to the show, Scott Ringline. Thanks for having me, guys. Awesome. It's great to have you on. So, Scott, you have a degree in mechanical engineering and a master's in manufacturing engineering. And so your various endeavors have left your mark in Asia, Europe, North and South America. So why don't you give our listeners a brief synopsis of how you ended up doing what you do and what drives your own internal engine every day? Yeah, so I spent a majority of my career in the automotive industry. So 30 years at a variety of locations, as you mentioned, starting out building an engine for uh, a car that A.J. Foyt drove to set a closed course record, spent some time at Ford. I worked in uh, engine division, and then I went into the, the tier one level and worked on emission systems for the last close to 15 years of my career. But as we know, in 2008, automotive was not a good place to be. Uh, nope, <laughs> not at all. And uh, not by my choice, that career ended very abruptly. At the time, I was a single father, two kids, went to work on a Monday. I was home by 11 without a job, car, phone, or computer. And that was the beginning of uh, what I am today. It was the last time I worked in corporate America. I hired an executive coach and kind of figured out, all right, what's my skill set and how can I use it to actually make money? And started my first company in 2009, working on uh, business plans and strategy and drew a mutual relationship that led to a position within the uh, DOE and the Obama administration working on the American Recovery Act for a couple of years. Cool. Basically was a technical advisor looking at business plan proposals to secure funding through the program to advance 
technologies and manufacturing. So in summary, how can we create a lot of jobs and make something that makes sense? And in 2011, that ended. And through a chance meeting, I had a conversation with a guy that was doing energy efficiency improvement projects, primarily in lighting. And kind of the aha moment for me was accessing capital for long-term periods that typically you couldn't do, you know, specifically for lighting. We were able to get 10-year funding for lighting projects. But then as I entered the industry, there's a lot more programs out there to actually make energy efficiency, water conservation, and renewable energy something that you can actually do and move forward with. And uh, that was the start of Energy Alliance Group. That's interesting. So we we interviewed a past guest, uh, as a guy called Dr. Stephen Falls from the UK, and he's that's one of his sort of main drives in life at the moment is trying to enable money to meet projects for energy efficiency. You know, as he yeah. said famously, no one no one wakes up in the morning saying, "I got to buy me some energy efficiency," right? <laughs> yeah, usually yeah. that's not what they're saying, and in, in statistically. Uh, Nobody's saying that, actually. Yeah. That's the thing. And his insight, which I found quite fascinating, was that there is a wall of money trying to meet an opportunity, and the energy and the built environment industry has a horrible, horrific time talking and meeting up with this money, right? Yeah, yeah. So, and there's, there's literally trillions of dollars sitting on the side waiting to be you know, deployed into the sector. Yeah, and it's it has, I guess that mm. deployment has to be at a micro and a macro level, right? Yeah, yeah. It's really a huge shift in how we approach these types of projects than, you know, what's been done in the past. Right. I had two questions for you, Scott. One of them, so are you an engineer or are you a business guy or are you a hybrid? I'm a hybrid, you know, engineer by trade. I never sold a thing in my life because in automotive, you always had a customer. But then after leaving it, I became a uh, a fluent networker. I love to talk. So I go around the U.S. talking at a lot of conferences and uh, do a lot of education-based stuff. So really kind of moved into it, not necessarily on purpose, but this is where I've ended up. Yeah, and I and I, Adam, you and I have talked about this before. I mean, the hybrid person, the you know, the person that can stack a number yeah. of skill sets, really has huge opportunities ahead of them in the future. My second question is: trillions of dollars sitting on the sidelines. What are investors waiting for? So it's not the investors; it's those that need it but don't know where to find it. So there's a huge disconnect between the funding mechanisms that are out there and then the people that need it to deploy it. And no fault of their own, they're busy, you know, running their companies or managing a facility and organizations like us become that intermediate because the funders are not out there looking for clients necessarily. They're not going to the business owners and saying, hey, we have this money. There's this great program out there to deploy it. Let's go and do some projects. And they just sit patiently waiting for something to happen. Yeah, I think a big part of the issue here is the level of bureaucracy and paperwork that sits between the people wanting the money and the people with the money, right? There's a language issue. There's a paperwork issue. And somehow the government's always got their nose in there as well making things a bit more muddy. I, there has to be some way to clean that up. Is there an opportunity for blockchain here or some online platform? Certainly from an online platform, there is. But, I, you know, our big thing that we push is the whole education side and just doing things different. The components to doing these projects has never changed. Right. You have a technical, financial incentives and tax credits, and then what we call integrated services, which might be, you know, maintenance agreements and stuff like that. Yeah. That's always been the same way. But in, in automotive, I was in the capital sector. So I knew what it took to go big, borrow and steal to get a dollar to be deployed to a capital improvement. Yeah. And so in today's age, everybody's focusing on the technical solution first. So they go through, they find out how they're going to solve their problem. 
They put together a capital request, they submit it, and the first thing that everybody says is, oh, well, that doesn't meet our targets for payback, return on investment, IRR. And statistically, 95% within the industrial commercial world, they require some type of return on investment or, you know, net operating improvement by year seven. Worse is it's like 92% require it three years or less. So if you look at all the technical solutions, what are they doing? Lighting and maybe some HVAC. Beyond that, nothing's getting done. You know, they're not doing chillers. They're not doing compressor systems. They're certainly not doing doors, windows, insulation, roofs. And we know the whole story on renewable energy. Yeah. You go out to the market and you look for these funding mechanisms to make it happen. And unfortunately, the programs that are out there that most know about either require a long-term commitment. So like through power purchase agreement, all right, you're tied Mm -hmm. to this for 20, 25 years, or you're only able to access cash for five, 10, maybe 15 years. We're starting to see some people come out with some 15-year programs for renewable energy. All right. Well, here in Michigan, cost of power is around uh, 10 to 11 cents per kilowatt hour. You put in a one megawatt solar system and you get a 15 year term. You're never, ever going to meet the payback hurdles that these organizations are looking for. So we just take a completely different approach and we look at the money first. Right. Because it's all about in the end, it's all about the money. And yeah, it's all about the money. But yet in industry, there's two things going on. Either they're putting together the solution for the the technical side first and then they can't get the money. Or you have other people out there trying to sell an audit saying, oh, we're going to come in and we're going to audit. We're going to tell you where you're bleeding and show you all these things that you can do. Hey, that's great. But first of all, they already know that they have problems. You know, they know that they're inefficient. They have an old building. They have single pane windows. What they're looking for is the solution, not just a list of things that you could do. Because at the end of the audit, they're handing over a really nice report that says, hey, here's all the places that you're bleeding. Here's a big list of all the things you can do, but nothing about how they're actually going to be able to deploy it from a business approach, not a technical approach. Yeah, so they tell them what to do but not how to do it, right? It's like, yeah. you know it's raining, someone comes along, you pay them $50, they say, guess what, it's raining. You go, thanks yeah. very much. Yeah. And it's yeah. not how do I get out of the rain, right? Yeah. Isn't, yeah. That, isn't that the definition of a consultant? Yeah, pretty much. Very good. <laughs> yeah. 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 A lot of people ask us that, are you consultants? And no, we're not. We're developers. And, and what we pitch is we create solutions to the impossible. Meaning when we go into a project, whatever the challenge is, typically they don't think they can solve it. Oh, we can't get the money or there's no way we're going to hit our internal targets or we only pay cash. That's the one I love. Oh, we only (laughs) pay cash. Well, that's why the building's falling down. You know, you should deploy your cash somewhere else. And so, you know, since 2012, the one thing that we focus on as an organization has always been the money side of the equation. And that's where our success has been. Because when you focus on the money side, now you figure out, one, where the money is, but two, where the money is that can be deployed efficiently to actually make the transaction work. And so... Uh, you know, I'll give you guys an example. We put together a proposal recently. A company bought a 70,000 square foot environmentally controlled warehouse. Right. It's in the food industry. It was an old building. They wanted a new roof. We went in, did a uh, analysis of the roof, and it was rated poor to very poor. So the whole <laughs> thing needed to be replaced. Yeah. And, you know, Replacing a 70,000 square foot roof is very expensive. And their approach was well, we have $350,000 allocated. We're going to look at repairing it. Yeah. Which is the typical response. Yeah. 
we came in and said, well, there's a program out there. It's called PACE. We can secure some long-term funding. It's, a, it's actually a property tax mechanism. We can talk more about the program itself uh, later. But through the program and the way we structured it, we put together a proposal where they would replace the roof. It would come with a 25-year warranty and a 25-year maintenance agreement. We would install a one-megawatt ballast-mounted solar system on the roof. Right. Came with a 25-year warranty and a 25-year maintenance agreement. It was cash flow positive from day one. We funded it. For 25 years, in year 25, it was still giving a return on investment, and they never used one dime out of their pocket, no out-of-pocket costs. So That's your, what we do. Your killer skill really is sort of matching up the right circumstances to the right program, right? That's right, yeah. Yeah, when we meet with a client, you know, of course, the first thing we talk about is the money side of the transaction, and then when they say, okay, well, we're interested in taking the next step. The audit that we do is really an audit to identify everything that could be done first. So in the areas of efficiency, conservation, and renewables. And then we put them in what we call an opportunity matrix, and we rate them by cost, utility reduction, or yeah. energy production, and then needs versus wants. Everybody wants the fancy stuff, but there's certain things you need. And so what that does is it narrows it down into a scope of work where you're leveraging things that have a high rate of return, big utility reduction with things that take forever to pay off. But when you're putting them together and then you're able to access funding that might be 15, 20, 25 years, guess what? You can start doing these projects achieve their payback hurdles and actually put them in a position where their, you know, NOI, ROI, however they want to measure it, yeah, is better than what it was before. And we didn't use any of their own cash. And that's the paradigm shift that's going out there. And that's what this PACE program is all about, is that it took a program that's been around since the 1700s and started applying it to buildings specifically for efficiency, conservation, and renewable energy improvements. Okay. So how is the money secured? So if I've got, you know, whatever, say $25 million that's available, that how do I, how is my money secured in these projects? Yeah, great question. So a little history here. In the mid-1700s, they came up with a process called property tax assessments. And originally, it was deployed to what? Create infrastructure throughout the United States. So property tax assessments are used for roads, sewers, schools, sidewalks, all these things. You get your tax statement. There's a line item on there. It'll say uh, special property tax assessment, road improvements. Right. How is that secured? through the property itself, not who owns it. You sell it, it transfers with the property, you continue to pay it. You default, stays with the property, somebody buys the property, what's the first thing they pay? Back tax payments. So you take that model, now you apply it to buildings, which are infrastructure. We've never really looked at buildings as infrastructure, yep. but now you deploy it to buildings, it can only be deployed for those three categories, efficiency, conservation, renewables. And now the money is same process. It's secured to the building, not to the owner or the corporation. So it's non-recourse. It's a tax. It's not a debt. So on their balance sheet, they're just carrying an additional expense. They're not carrying any additional debt. That's the key point there. That's right. the key yeah. point there. You're able to secure long term fixed rate fund. So we can get, we did a project a couple of years ago, replaced 300 windows in an apartment building, secured $300,000, 20-year fixed rate. And it's typically tied to, to 10-year treasuries plus some margin, depends on the, uh, on the investor. And so now what you're doing is you're leveraging the value of the property, you know, because the properties were something, even yeah. if you have senior debt on it. And you're able to take that funding 
and actually make the building more efficient. And the whole point of this is if, you know, the savings to cost ratio in the end has to be greater than one. That's the target. Yeah. And this is from day one. And a lot of people say, well, how is it that you can can do that? Well, there's two things. One, actually, there's three things. The first thing is time. You know, nobody out there is, whether it's a lease agreement or uh, traditional debt financing, is going out 20 years or 25 years. No one is, unless you're physically building a brand new building or, you know, major, yeah. major investment. The second thing is, in traditional capital deployment, the only thing you look at is capital, not expense to operate. Where with PACE, you bring the two together because it's part of the building. It's real property. You want it to be cared for over a long period of time. So when we do the financial analysis, we're physically looking at true life cycle costs. Yeah, you know, so you do it as a cash flow analysis, basically, right? Yeah, and we're taking in consideration maintenance, end-of-life replacement, inflation yeah. rates, energy increases. And then the third thing is that now we're able to leverage all the things that you could never leverage before, meaning property value, the technical solutions. We never go into uh, an opportunity with a technical solution in mind. We're technology agnostic. We have CHP programs going on right now, lighting programs, roofing programs, solar programs. It's all about, we're still taking the same four pieces of the puzzle. We're just putting them together a little bit differently. And we have more knowledge than others about some of the tools that are out there to actually make it work. You know, yeah, we're all engineers, but yeah. before 2008, I'll be honest, I didn't know what an LED was or CHP or any of that. And while I do now, we still go to the experts in the industry to solve that problem. What we do is we put the pieces together based on what are the needs of yeah. this opportunity. You're an expert on experts, right? Yeah. No. <laughs> so that's exactly. interesting. Because so, Sorry, mate, go on, you go. Yeah, so everything flows through you guys, really. And so your compensation is, is it a contract fee? Is it a management fee? Is it like, is it, how does your model work? It's exactly that. And it's going to depend on the scope of work. So we have projects. We're really doing everything. We're bringing in the GC, the subs, the technology provider. We're bringing in the funder. We're handling all the incentives. We might bring in a tax expert to do cost segregation of maintenance, R&M, stuff like that. And then if there's a long-term maintenance agreement play on the transaction, we'll bring that all together. So that wow. would be, you know, we're going we're gonna to do everything. There's other projects. So we have a new construction project right now that we're working on where we're really acting as a consultant about the entire process. So they already have general contractors and subs and, and technology providers, we come to the table and we're like, all right, how about we bring a couple of million dollars to the table that covers all these other improvements that you want to do, but you would never spend the money up front because they're trying to what? I need to keep my investment low so we can achieve our NOI, ROI, or whatever yeah. that operating target is. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to bring in, you know, a couple million dollars to make it far more efficient. And we're going to leverage the utility savings and maintenance savings to offset that cost over a fixed period of time. So now we go into a meeting and we're talking about, oh, let's look at, you know, variable frequency drive compressors. Let's look at building management systems. Let's look at, you know, controls for all your lighting and stuff. Let's look at, you know, in a lab environment, let's look at heat recovery because you're doing so many turns on the air. Well, let's use the heat to preheat the air coming in. Let's look at solar. Let's, you know, if you've got a south facing uh, building, let's look at putting in controls for shading. So on a really hot summer day, we're controlling the thermal load through just automatic shades, all that stuff. 
and literally that's how we start. We're like, here's the list of all the things that we can do. What's important to your organization from a needs because it's based on the operation. Okay, well, we need lots of compressed air. Oh my gosh, you have lots of options. Let's start looking at those types of options. I think the, the technology sure. and the things to do are, are well known. It's finding, oh, yeah. finding clients that are willing to do it because they're all first cost driven, right? I mean, yes. what you're essentially talking about is annuitizing somehow yeah. this whole thing, right? Which is yeah. great because there's loads of pension money with baby boomers pension money looking for a home. And annuitizing oh my gosh, annuitizing are- that money is, is where it's at, right? So if you could find a home for that money, but Trump, what you're basically doing, you've got that wave of money that needs to be broken down into micro packages, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a fund. Someone needs to do a fund there, basically, right? And fund that. Well, that's, boy, you're reading our business plan. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, yeah. so today, the monies that are being deployed in this program are coming exactly from that. So these are family trust, pensions, 401ks, IRAs. Yeah whatever, that they're looking for long-term, fixed rate, and very, very low risk. And nothing better than having a building that if you default, what happens? In essence, the government comes in, they take it over, it goes on the open market, they sell it. What's the first dollar that comes out? Tax. Yeah. Not senior debt, tax. And, you know, we sit within these meetings with companies and and we have to get consent. You know, if they have senior debt, we have to get consent to place this assessment on it because it's another lien. But the first comment will be, well, we don't want to lose first position. Yeah, that's exactly. You don't have first position today. Property tax has first position. Everything else follows. This is a property tax. It is not a debt. Because if they default or if they sell, they're not paying off the principal balance of whatever that assessment is. The only thing they're paying off is if it sat for a while, how many payments accumulated, you got to pay that off. Or if it's a sale, the only thing you're taking over is the tax. But the benefit here is that through this program, first of all, everything's real property. So none of it's personal property. And second of all, the way it's structured, and we'll talk about this a little bit, but the way it's structured is that it is to be maintained. So on day one and year 15, it should operate the same as it did, whether there was regular maintenance required, maybe some end of life replacement required. But in essence, if you look at it statistically, you're going to capture you know, 95 to 98% of the the what ifs, and it should still operate at the same efficiency. Right. That's the other thing too, is that if you look at the ESCO model, you know, they're really focused on the savings from a dollar standpoint. Yep. In PACE, we're looking at the savings from a utility reduction and maintenance reduction. If the light's on, you're saving money. If it's not, you're not. Right. So that's how it works. And then if there is a default, nobody's chasing after the building owner to get the money. If you're in an ESCO agreement or some type of performance contract, who's on the hook? The building owner. And they'll hunt them down to get that dollar. And that's the paradigm shift. And that's why more and more starting to look at it. Believe it or not, Canada is looking at PACE now as a mechanism to become you know, more efficient and deploy more renewable energy. So there's a whole bunch of confidence issues here at stake, isn't there? I mean, there's the confidence in your organization. There's confidence in the asset itself. Yep. There's confidence in the government. So to yep. make all of this work, kudos to you guys for putting well, like Adam, I'm thinking about the sophistication oh, of this yeah. model. Yeah, you know, and I mean, for you guys to go and, and are you searching for these assets? No, not yet. So, okay, I would say 99% of all the projects that we do are coming through the relationships that we have with our technical providers. You know, so say you sell compressed air systems. 
you're going to go in, you're going to put the proposal together. And the first thing the guy is going to say is, oh, we can't afford this. You know, what kind of funding do you do? Well, we don't. We do this. Oh, okay. Well, what about this incentive stuff and tax credits? I heard that there's that stuff out there. You know, can you help us with that? No, we sell compressors. Oh, well, do you have a model that's cheaper and less efficient? Well, yeah, we do, but that's not really what we sell. So I'm like, hey, guys, get in a meeting like that. You just say, well, we do. Would you like to talk to? We come in, they go continue to sell their compressors and we say, all right, tell us about your company. Tell us what your needs are. Let's look at the financials first. Yep. We can secure funding for this. We'll take care of the incentives for you. Oh, by the way, there's some tax credits out there. We'll bring in the third party that'll manage all of that for you. Are you interested? Sure. So now the compressor guy still got the sale, but he didn't have to do any of the work. We just call him up and say, hey, here's a, you know, here's a purchase order. This is when you need to deliver. Yeah. And we bring all the parties together. And that's really the difference. Eventually, It'll probably be much more of a push sale, meaning going out and really looking for the assets to deploy. But at this point in time, we're not pushing anything. They're coming to us and saying, hey, we heard about this. Can you look at this? I'll give you a story. I was speaking at a conference uh, late last fall. I was on a panel just talking about money left on the table through efficiency and conservation renewable energy. Look, you can make money doing this. And I brought up the PACE program and a woman in the crowd came up to me. She's like, we're building a new building. I believe in efficiency and conservation measures. Can you help? A couple of meetings later, next week, we're hopeful we're going to get them a uh, term sheet for close to $9 million to help build the building and implement a you know, wide variety of conservation measures. The Edifice Complex will continue in just a moment. If you're enjoying this podcast, we need your help. We're not asking for money, just a minute of your time. Our goal is to make the Edifice Complex podcast as relevant, educational, and useful as possible. By having good ratings, we can reach the widest audience. Therefore, our request is two small things. If you haven't already, leave us a review and rating on iTunes. And subscribe to the Edifice Complex on YouTube, even if you normally only listen to the audio version. These two things will help us immensely. Also, if you would like Robert or Adam to speak, teach, or consult on your project or business, please email admin at edificecomplexpodcast.com. Thanks for your time. And now, back to the show. With your thinking and business at the moment, you're probably in the right time and the right place because the move to more warehouse type buildings, you know, in terms yep. of distribution, uh, growing urban farming, growing oh, yeah. weed, things like that. Yeah. I'm allowed to say that in your country, growing weed, but we're getting there. Yeah. You know, those are the ideal candidates for you. But there is, there's a distinction in my mind always between the private sector and the government sector, right? So the government yep. sector have the ability here to make a massive impact because they're just such big landlords. Yep. The yep. private sector are all about, and I used to be a property developer in the UK. You know, anything that would impede the sale of a building. So if you're if you're a true alpha property developer, everything is for sale. Nothing. Mm-hmm. There's no emotion there, right? Everything you build yep. is up for sale for the right price. Anything that would impede that sale is death to you. Yep. So I mean, the firm I used to work for in the UK, they would not put any go into any long term agreement like that because That's they'd right. be scared to death it would stop a sale to a private That's right. company. So how do you square that? I mean, so let's go back a sec. The government sector, yep. do you see them jumping into this? Because they have the ability to move the needle, right? Yeah. Well, so here's what's going on in, in that part of the transaction. I'm actually on a part of a committee within the Department of Energy looking at this tool and how to deploy it quicker and faster right. and all that The issue out there is that on the government side, because it's a tax, the first pushback is, is, well, you know, if there's a default, who's going to pay for it in that case? And so there's at this point in time, I think there is only one state in the U.S. that has structured this transaction 
so that the monies can be deployed against, we'll just call publicly owned buildings, so government right. entity buildings or whatever. And the way they do it is they go out and they sell a public bond, then they use that public money to deploy it through the PACE program into public buildings. Right. And that way you're using, quote, public money for public entities. Unlike in traditional uh, PACE transaction, it's private dollars. And that's where things get a little clouded is, oh, using private dollars to improve public buildings. Then what happens if shit hits the fan and it all falls apart? So it's moving that way. Unfortunately, I just don't see that happening anytime soon. Like I said, all the focus today from at least the federal standpoint is, geez, this is a great tool. We need to deploy it more, but only on the private sector. From the state side of things, so the way PACE works is PACE is an act of legislation. It has to be approved by the state. And basically the state says, okay, we're going to allow the local taxing authorities to place an assessment on a property to do these efficiency improvements. And that's the only thing that the state government does. Then the local government actually has to create what we call a PACE district. They have to raise their hand and say, okay, we're going to use this tool so that our constituents can get access to this type of program and this funding to improve their buildings. What happens is nobody pays attention to what's going on at the state. (laughs) And then if somebody in the local side of the transaction happens to pay attention to it, and they become a PACE district, nobody within the district is paying attention to what's going on at City Hall. So now we go into these meetings, we talk to them about these programs. The first thing they say is, oh, this is just too good to be true. This can't be a government program. Well, it is, but it's not using public money. That's the game changer here. It's, It's all private money that's being deployed into this sector because of its structure. We're just using the, quote, government for the tool, the transaction. That's it. They collect property taxes. They put assessments on and they can get a little administration fee. But in the end, they're not using any of the tax dollars. And if there's a default, they're still carrying the property, but it's still just a tax. They got to find somebody that's willing to come in and buy the property and the tax. The benefit of PACE is that this tax burden was for improving the building, which made it worth more and operate cheaper. So you got two buildings that are identical, one that was improved by Pace five years ago and another one that hasn't been touched. What's somebody going to buy? Oh, I want that one that has LED lighting and controls and a new roof where this guy is still using metal halide lights, the roof leaks, and it's got single pane windows. And The buyer, the only premium that he's paying is for the increased tax assessment. Yeah, the the price of the building is probably going to be a little bit more, you know, because it's more improved. Absolutely, yeah. But typically those improvements are looked at as personal, not real property. So the overall value of the property is not changing. It's the operational value and the long-term value that, oh, I got a building that I can walk in, turn it on, no cash deployment. It's a speed to market thing, better. right? Speed yeah. to market. So yeah. uh, that's interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to your business model again. So yeah. your fee, I mean, for your cash flow, it lasts for the life of the contract, or have you tied into the twenty-five year cycle? And why I'm why I'm thinking about this, yeah. I'm thinking like Warren Buffett, right? And his mm-hmm. toll booth analogy. You know, if you can find a way where there's a monthly fee for twenty-five years, I can do something with that. Ah, great question. (laughs) And I'll answer it the quick way is it depends, but I'll give you a couple of different examples. So in the state of Michigan, where we're based, legislation put in a requirement that if the project is greater than $250,000, there has to be a performance contract put in place. Now, when most of us hear of a performance contract, we think of, oh my God, they have to achieve a certain amount of dollar savings. 
But in the PACE world, a performance contract is if you're using it, you're going to save this many kilowatt hours or this many cubic feet of gas. And so when we do the deployment, we're going to what? Monitor everything, verify everything, and then audit it. So to your question, yes. In the state of Michigan, we're tied to a project. We're actually closing on one in January. We're tied to that project for 15 years. And so there's a revenue stream, although it's not gigantic, but it's there because we have to, on an annual basis, measure, verify, audit, and report on the operation. And because of PACE structure, there's an administration function. So it's not what we say or what the client says. It's what the client says and what we say and what the administrator agrees to based on the original assumptions of the contract. So we do a lot of work identifying, and this comes from the owner, tell us how your building operates. What are the hours? We need two or three years of utility so we can set an average rate. So in year one, year three, year five, when we're doing the audit and there's a blip, now we can go back and ask the questions. All right, well, you said you guys operate this way. We don't see that anymore. Now you're operating either less or more. And so when you start looking at dollar values, yeah, they're spending more in energy, but they're still saving exactly the same because the light's on just two hours longer a day. All right. Well, <laughs> wow. So, you know, you know what's wow. coming to my mind here is like, if you're an engineer, become a data scientist. Do not do that master's degree. Become exactly. a data scientist because this what you've just described all- is the future where you're going to deploy all this IoT stuff. It's going to come to you in real time and you're going to trend that, you're going to data mine that, and you're going to say, oh, something's going on here, right? Yeah, because from a maintenance agreement, look, we're all engineers. It's black and white. How long did it run? Chances are it's going to break down at this point. Yeah. All right. Well, in year 15, we have so much funding allocated in year 15. Yeah. By law, it still has to be cash flow positive. Even if they don't use the money, that's not the point. It's in the model, we show that you're going to deploy the cash. And guess what? Even if you spend, you know, $2 million to replace all the lights that we put in 15 years ago, you have accumulated enough savings to offset that cost that you're still cash flow positive. And guess what? Those costs are in year 2035. They're not in year 2020 because yeah. we put the tools in place. And as an engineer, you know, quite honestly, we're like, this is actually pretty easy stuff, folks. You know, I got a bulb that burns 35 watts. I'm replacing it with something that burns 12 <laughs> and you pay 12 cents a kilowatt hour. Yeah. If there's a blip, what are we going to look at? How long did you have it on? And was there a significant change to what you pay for power? Yeah, That's yeah. it. There's not many variables there. <laughs> yeah. And to your point that you brought up, the technical solution has been there forever. It doesn't matter whether it's geothermal, CHP. The one thing here, and I can't speak for Canada, but I can speak for the U.S. and compare it to, you know, I spent most of my time outside of the U.S. in my career. We're so far behind in doing this that I go into meetings and we'll bring up, hey, we should really look at geothermal. Well, that's a new technology. We don't want something new. <laughs> <laughs> Someone like, says that to me, oh, Radiant, that's a new technology. I said, no, 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 the Romans were using that 22,000 years ago. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, and that's part of the problem. There's a yeah. fear out there, but then there's also, you know, oh, well, this is how we do it. Okay, look at your building. It's a piece of shit. I'm sorry for the language, yeah. but, or my favorite story, I was in automotive. I would spend say $100 million on a brand new assembly line. And I could get that capital because the customer paid for it. Every time I made a product, they're paying for it, okay? But then I take this beautiful, beautiful assembly line and I put it in a building. The lighting's terrible. The roof leaks. It's cold. Why? Because they are not going to spend the capital to improve the building because it doesn't meet their internal rate of return. Oh, well, we got to hit up a one and a half year payback. 
oh, well, guess what? We're not doing nothing. And they're not. I mean, and that's the fun that I have too, is I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a data nerd, but statistically, what is it? I think there's, I want to say 6 million industrial commercial buildings within the U.S. 50% of them are a hundred years old. And out of all of them, 80% of them have 40-year-old technology, lighting, HVAC, all the infrastructure. I mean, we're still going into buildings that were built in the early 1900s and nothing has changed. Nothing other than the process, the building itself, no insulation, single pane windows. The roof has been patched 50 times. They're using, you know, it could be a million square feet and they're still using radiant heaters to heat the facility. Yeah, and gotcha. and I could go on and on with the list of things that we see. And, yeah. and it's like, look, there is a way. Just be open to it. That's all. You know? So if I, was a, if I was a Scott Ringline, every morning I would be getting up and I'd be going, how many contracts can I sign today that have a 25-year life? <laughs> yeah. Right? And, because- and most of ours have, I mean, minimum... Most of the lenders out there that are in this market, they want a 15-year commitment because yeah. their investors want a long-term. So we're yeah. not looking at one or five, even 10-year contracts. Everything we look at is 15, 20, 25. And we're always looking at on the what we call integrated services. We know even if the money's there and you put the responsibility of maintenance upon the building owner, What's the first thing to go? Maintenance and training. <laughs> the Chernobyl factor. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I know that because what well, right. I worked right. in that industry, guys. You know, I know exactly how you guys operate. So we're trying to show up with something that's different. All right. Now, here's the beauty of PACE. PACE pays every dollar of the transaction. Soft cost, hard cost, maintenance cost, everything. And it has to be cash flow positive. So I come to you, I propose a a lighting program. You own a million square feet, you got 3,500 light bulbs. They haven't been touched since the early 70s. We're going to come in, we're going to replace all the bulbs, put in controls, and then we're going to maintain them for the next 15 years. There will be an escrow account. At the end of the 15 years, if there's money left over, giddy up. It's going to go in your pocket because it's your money, but it will be maintained. So the first thing they're going to ask is, well, what's that money going to cost us? Well, today in the market, it could run five to six percent. Oh, well, we'll keep the money. We'll do the maintenance. You're missing the whole point here. I don't care if that money costs 20 percent. I have to guarantee that it's going to be cash flow positive and it's going to be maintained. So if you're going to take the money and set it aside Where are you going to set it aside? No place. And in year 10, when all those bulbs need to be replaced out of the parking lot and the facility or the operations director comes to you and says, hey, I need to release a purchase order to EAG to replace all these lights. going to cost $2 million. Where do you think that's going to go? Nowhere. Yeah. Oh, we're not going to do that. Well, it's in the agreement. All right. Well, then we're going to, you know, we're going to breach the agreement. And that's, you know, that's what happens. So we're really just trying to change the model that it's, you know, all right, it's a no brainer. Cash flow positive. You tell us what the requirements are. We'll meet those requirements. Forget about how much the money is costing. Cause I always hear that. Oh, I can get cheaper money. All right, let's go get it. I need a uh, 10 years or a 15 year fixed rate. Well, I can't get that. Oh yeah. You just said you can get cheaper money. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there is cheaper money out there. There's bonds, but you have to be quad A credit. You got to be triple A, right? I mean, yeah, this again is calling happening. out for a public-private fund, right, where the public money and the and the municipal money meet and fund these projects. Man, there's some Wall Street dude's got to get on this. Yeah, well, yeah, you know, it's rubbish. funny you you brought up the point about the baby boomer money. So yeah. again, I'm I'm a data guy, and as we started to build our business up and thought about the business plan, I'm like, okay. Why aren't we the funder? Why don't we control 
all of mm. the side of the transaction standpoint. Baby boomers, I'm 55. Last year, baby boomers, at least in the United States, <laughs> it's the richest sector. And guess what? They have to take mandatory withdrawals. They're already rich. They already paid off their house. What are they going to do with this money? They're looking for a place to park it. All right, give it to us. We'll pay you 4%. We can deploy it at 6 or 7%. There's our margin. And it's secure. Listen, 6 or 7% in this market, that is a dream, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like I said, it's a no-brainer. But, you know, again... There has to be a plan. You have to, but that's our long-term goal is, all right, you know, there's all this money out there, literally trillions of dollars sitting, making 2%. So we're coming up close to an hour. So I've got to ask you about the Obama stint. But before we do that, I'm just thinking here, Robert, you know, we interviewed uh, a guy on a podcast who's a friend of mine, who's the CEO of Control Energy, Paul Gezi. Yeah, Paul Gezi, yeah. So basically his firm, which is a publicly quoted firm up here, is doing what you're doing, but on top of that, they're adding an IoT component. Yeah. So they yeah. go into like industrial processes, like wheat growers, uh, anyone like that, car manufacturers as well, and they IoT the, the what's of it. And then they yeah. data mine that to get the efficiencies. So maybe there's a connection there offline. If you want me to introduce you, I will. Because oh, I think yeah. you guys could really help each other a lot. So that aside, I do want to ask you about, I wrote it down when you said to start, you worked in the Obama administration on the America Recovery Act. How yep. was, what was that like? <laughs> I'll tell you what, it was by far the greatest experience of my entire career. Wow. It gave me an inside look at really how the government works. And when I say the government, I'm not talking about the people in the White House. I'm talking about all the people that have basically dedicated their entire career to public service. Yeah. And I was, honestly, I was blown away at how well it was run, how it was set up, and what they were physically doing with the money but also the way they had it deployed. It wasn't like they were really handing out checks. They took what they considered experts in the industry, people like me. There was only 100 of us. There was, I think, three to five advisors per team. And we would all look at the same submittal. We all had to rate it by the same criteria. Right. And then we all came together. We sat at a table. We discussed them. We talked about why I might rate something different than another one came up with an agreement. And it wasn't like, you know, we're going after the pie in the sky because our job was to define, okay, first of all, does it even make sense? Because there are some of the pie in the sky guys and they were trying to get funding. But second of all, how can we create jobs in the shortest amount of time? and at the same time, have as little impact on the environment as possible. Now, the general public think that if there's a dollar out there, tomorrow there should be a return. We're looking at applications for building major manufacturing plants that, you know, quite honestly, there's still things going on since that time that are still being deployed with those kind of dollars. It just takes a long time. And it really just peeled the onion back. Wow, look at how all this works. Money is actually going to the good. It's creating jobs. It's And they're actually using a very structured process to do it. And for me, like I said, it was by far not only the greatest opportunity, but it was the first time in my career that my client actually wrote me a note to thank me for all the help. And, you know, you know, guys don't see my office walls, but, you know, lots of letters of thanks during yeah. that two and a half, three year period. Were you down in Washington for that? Or were you doing that for yeah. a yeah, yeah. In Washington. Yeah. 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 Well, kudos yeah. on that. That's, that's quite yeah, the uh, feather in your cap. Well done. Yeah. 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 It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. And as an engineer, I got to see some really cool stuff. Yeah. Stuff I can't talk about, yeah, but no, really, really cool stuff. I can't tell you yeah. about it. I'll have to yeah. kill you. But yeah. you know, that's great because yeah. you've hit, that's almost like the trifecta of awesomeness, right? You're doing what you're good at. 
for a great cause yeah. and assisting yeah. your country and nation in the process. There's nothing wrong with any of that, right? Yeah, yeah no, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. This is a good segue, Adam, into sort of our uh, yeah. quick-fire questions here. Yeah. Why don't you go first? Okay, so we, we always wrap up with some quick-fire questions because one of the things for the podcast is we're trying to be sort of educational and inspirational to sort of young engineers or young graduates or people in university, right? So we want engineers. The country needs more engineers. So what would your advice be to a newly minted, say, mechanical or electrical engineer? Oh, my gosh. Stay out of automotive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Well, and in all, and truly, I can't blame automotive because it doesn't matter whether it's automotive or any other industry. When shit hits the fan, you know, we're just a number. They're, they're going to push the side. Yeah. Certainly look into this industry, efficiency, conservation, renewables. You touched on it earlier. We are literally just coming off the horizontal. Yep. You know, I love statistics. Less than 2% of all the buildings have some type of controls in them. Yeah, that's nuts, right? (laughs) It's nuts. (laughs) And the market is literally in the trillions and and it's not going away, okay? It's very cyclical. It's funny because now what are we looking at? hydroelectricity. Why did hydroelectricity go away? Because coal was cheaper. It's coming back full circle. And that's the fun. And the other thing is, is that from a technical standpoint, it's always getting better, more efficient, you know, kind of the the cool stuff. So So Scott, let's, let's just say I'm your son. I'm 17 years old. Do I get advice from you that says, you know, Robert, you should go get a business degree first and then your engineering, or you should go get an engineering degree and then business. Wow. What's the sequence? I can only We're, we're talking about the rest of my life here, Scott. So. Yeah. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> so here's my advice. When I had an opportunity to go get my master's degree, I was working for Ford. Everybody said, go get your MBA. And I'm like, you know what? I have no interest in it. I'm an applications guy. Yeah. I went and got my master's. Then as I was exposed to the business side of industry more and more, I'm like, what are they teaching these guys there? Because from a data standpoint and an engineering standpoint, they should be doing what we're doing right now. Because guess what? They're actually much further ahead. And that's the thing that I'm like, okay, from a capital deployment why do you never, ever look at the operations side of capital? Because they're making decisions to what? Yeah. Buy the cheapest, the less efficient. Oh, it's going to cost us more to maintain it. But that discussion never comes up. It's no. what's the capital? Keep it cheap. Don't worry about it in 10 years. And then in 10 years, they're bitching because you're spending a fortune on maintaining it. And it's just full circle. So I'm full about the engineering side of it, because in the end, that's what's going to solve the problem from an understanding of how do we get to the solution. It's a process. It's not the tool. The tools we use, nothing's changed. It's the process. Yeah. The reason why I asked the question is because I have brothers that are chartered accountants and certified management accountants. And my dad was a chartered accountant, but all three of them ended up owning or working for engineering companies. And they all elevated themselves to senior positions within those companies. So having the business background allowed them to understand the business side. And then they just through osmosis ended up with an an appreciate, not becoming engineers, but an appreciation for the technical component. Mm. Having said that, many of those firms that they worked for or ended up buying with were started by engineers. Yeah, we we suck at managing money, just to let you know. (laughs) Yeah, we do. Yeah. yeah, tell yeah, me. Yeah. yeah, I couldn't agree more. So, well, that's that's a good place yeah. to wrap it up. Engineers suck at managing money. Actually, <laughs> sometimes you got to call it how it is, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm not afraid yeah. to say it, and you know, it, it, it's certainly a weakness, and uh, yeah. you know, that's why those people have their places. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Um, yeah. But I think I gained enough experience from the business side to at least understand why it all has to work together, which is just made, you know, myself, but also the organization, because we're putting both of them together to tell a story to the client. 
You know, yeah, we're not yeah. focused on just the technical. And we tell them, this is a financial transaction. Yeah. The technology is just one of the tools. First and foremost, is it's a financial transaction. We know you need to make money. I don't want your money. And we're going to try and show you how we don't have to use it and yeah. actually create more wealth for you. So yeah, that's awesome. We're wrapping up now. I just want to thank you for coming on and uh, yeah. sharing that insight. That was awesome. You know, again, going back to what Steve Burrows said on a previous episode, it's never been a better time to be an engineer in the built environment, right? There is yeah. so much opportunity if you want it. Yeah. It's there. Oh, right? my God. Yeah. Yeah, yeah certainly. So Scott, do well, you thanks, have guys? I really appreciate it. Yeah, no yeah, problem. Thank you. Do you yeah, have man. any speaking gigs coming up? Where can people see you? We've got your. I'll put notes in the show notes on your website, ngalliancegroup.org, on Twitter, where you are, NRGA Alliance Group on Twitter. Is there, have you got any speaking gigs coming up anywhere else? People can find Actually, you. Actually, I don't. I just finished up a couple of them uh, down in Florida recently, and just starting to look at what's going to go on for the new year, but. Certainly, uh, going to the website and stuff—that's great. Uh, okay, great cool. resource for that information. Okay, Scott. Well, thank you very cool. much for your time. That was awesome. Yep. Very educational. Yeah, I look Thanks, forward Scott. to talking to you guys later for sure. Adam, another great guest with some really good skill sets and looking at opportunities and putting together solutions—the financial solutions with the technical solutions—and in this case, a win-win for the client. I mean, yeah, the, when you. Take that up to the macro level, right? The scale of money and the scale of opportunity there in terms of old buildings that just need retrofitting. I yeah. truly believe the next major market frontier is not going to be new construction. It's going to be retrofits. Yeah. You know, yeah, without a doubt. That is just a wall of work. I mean, it was it not, if the built environment's 100%, 99% of it's existing buildings? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Where, do you, where do you target yourself? Yeah, totally, right? right? Yeah. I'm impressed that he was able to put that whole thing together. I mean, that is a sophisticated yeah. process to look at an asset that you know becomes an investment vehicle, funded through tax dollars, secured through a government program, in this case, PACE. Yeah. And I'm still trying to get my head around the, the technicalities of that whole process. I kind of get it. But let's just say I'm a building owner, and someone approaches me and says, we can take care of your building and use it as an investment vehicle with essentially no cost to you because you're going to fund it through tax dollars. How can I say no? Yeah, the only way that would be a problem is this is depends what business you're in, right? So if you're say a let's say you're Amazon, for example, and you've got lots of distribution warehouses, this is great for you. You're not yeah. going anywhere, right? But if you are more of a medium, small size speculative developer or a spec or in a speculative business, then yeah. it's a problem. Because you, I would be worried about having an incumbence on being able to sell something. Because yeah. even if you've just got to have an awkward conversation and say, "Don't worry about it," it's this and this, right? That might be enough to stop a sale or someone potentially making a bid on your property. So yeah. that is a hurdle that can't be ignored and has to be overcome. Can it be overcome? Absolutely. But yeah. you've really got to talk, think about how you message that. But that said, the market just on distribution warehouses storage REITs, you know, there's a whole wall of buildings out there that don't have to look sexy, but yeah. do have to return on investment, do have to cash flow, right? That's the yeah. market. And it's enormous. Yeah, totally. You know, I, I have a message for our past guests, and I hope they, you know, listen to our uh, summary yeah. talks, because really what we're doing here is we're building some pretty interesting networks of, for some opportunities for these guys to talk to one another. Yeah. And you brought it up, actually. We talked about Paul Gezi, right? Yeah. And But there's other ones, too. So hopefully, you know, out of these discussions that we're having, there's some good relationships that are built that, that can, you know, be both profitable business opportunities, but also benefit society as well, right? Yeah, I mean, I couldn't stop thinking about how if you applied IoT, sort of like 5G and IoT to what Scott's doing, yeah, and then there immediately is your sort of monitor on how it's performing, return on investment. AI would then get involved in predictive maintenance and breakdowns, right? Yeah, that whole frontier is just opening up. Yeah, yeah, and you know, there's a stat he came out with of all the build industrial buildings in the US, fifty percent of them are a hundred years old with forty yeah. year old equipment. That yeah. is a and I believe that because I've seen some of these buildings, they are goddamn terrible. But yeah. you know what? That is just a mind-blowing statistic, man. <laughs> it is. It's a huge opportunity. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it's no one's addressing it because everybody wants to do the sexy new build with the windmill on the roof, right? Yep. You know, yep. that's like a, a gingerbread affectation. It's a social justice warrior, like badge. Who cares, right? What's Everybody knows what we have to do. We have to build better buildings, more airtight, with better insulation, better windows. It's just yep. not sexy. Yeah. <laughs> right? So I guess... At the end of the day, what he, what Scott's done is he's tapped into midlife crises for buildings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the you know? money, the baby boomers' money, man. I mean, yeah. every pension fund is looking for a cash flow annuity that's a 4 or 5%. I can put it on autopilot and walk away. That's yep. every pension fund's dream. Yeah, you yeah. Know, God, there is a Wall Street opportunity here for a younger, more enthusiastic dude than me to put together, yeah. right? But it's yeah. there. It really is. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking that the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. All right, sir. Well, listen, another good call. Always there, always great calls. We have good people. Yeah, yeah. I get more fired up every time. I, I keep thinking to myself, God, I wish I was starting again. There's so many things. <laughs> so many more opportunities, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> okay, man. I'll see you in the next one. You've been listening to the Edifice Complex podcast with Adam Muggleton and Robert Bean. To access show notes for this episode, visit edificecomplexpodcast.com. Also, if you would like Robert or Adam to speak, teach, or consult on your project or business, please email admin at edificecomplexpodcast.com. See you next time. Adam, it's time to thank some people who are on our side, because we're on their side. You found a new tool, software, Blue Rhythm commissioning software. Robert, I sure have. I think Blue Rhythm is what I've been looking for all these years. Building commissioning can be chaos at the best of times. Most projects I consult on really suffer from poor information management. You know, it's 2019, yet the property and construction industry seems to be firmly stuck in the 20th century paperwork world. I think people mistake emails and PDFs and Microsoft files on their servers and all the different PCs as a digital solution. In reality, it's just unorganized chaos. Do you want to streamline your commissioning process and save time and money? Do you want to go paperless and increase efficiency? Blue Rhythm is a cloud-based software solution built specifically for building commissioning professionals. Blue Rhythm digitizes your custom forms and checklists, allows collaboration across project teams, and automates reporting, leaving you to focus on what matters. Their team help you onboard the test sheets you've developed over the years. You can even send it some in paper, and they will digitize that and put it in the Blue Rhythm system for you. In my opinion, Blue Rhythm pays for itself in time saved on paperwork on a single project. For a demo or to start a free trial, go to bluerhythm.com. That's where rhythm is spelled R-I-T-H-M like algorithm. Bluerhythm.com. Tell them the Edifice Complex sent you there.